When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, ESPN's Royce Young joins us for an interview. We preview the NBA draft with Royce, including all the different scenarios for the OKC Thunder with their three first-round picks. We give you the latest updates on OU's move to the SEC. There is drama, and it is fantastic. And we finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's beautiful Thursday, July 29th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming, thrills, and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And it's time to start talking about August, Ted, because every night from 6 p.m. to midnight, August 1st through 27th, you can win your share of $300,000 in cash prizes and bonus play and Riverwind's $300,000 Riverwind anniversary. I see what they did there. Like it. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Now we're recording this on Wednesday night. Ted, there is Ooh. there's so much to talk about. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We we kind of just got to jump right in, man, or else this is going to be a two-hour podcast. Let, uh, yes, there's there's a lot to absorb right now. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts. I thought the July last- was like the end of July is supposed to be. Oh man, we're we're supposed to be scraping the bottom of the barrel for stuff to talk about. And it's been like eight days now of like you can't keep the feed on on the breaking news going fast enough. So we've we've got ESPN's Royce Young to talk NBA draft. And, of course, we talk a lot of the Thunders options with the three first-round draft picks that they have in the NBA draft. So we dive into that with Royce. But 
Ted, there's only one place to start, man. Oh, first, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and a nice comment. You know, maybe if, if you want to suggest a guest, put it in there as well. Also, if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast during football season, uh, just a little information. We are experiencing record download numbers currently, Ted. Record numbers. Yes. So maybe a good the time SEC to jump on moves, board. Baby. SEC moves. Oh, God. That feels dirty. <laughs> that just it felt, oh, it made me cringe. But yeah, if you if you are interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can reach out to me or Teddy on Twitter, or you can email us at the Oklahoma Breakdown at gmail.com. We will uh, we'll get you all the details if you send us an email. Okay, OU to the SEC update. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're in the car, you should have your seatbelt buckled already. If you're at home, find something to strap yourself in because things are getting intense. Let's go. Here's it's the timeline. Here, here's the latest update. Here's the timeline. So uh, this involves letters, regent meetings, reactions, Bitterness, cease and desist letters. I mean, it, it has turned into quite the saga. So on Monday, OU in Texas notified the Big 12 of their intention not to extend the grants of media rights when those are up in 2025, essentially saying, we are leaving you. Tuesday, OU in Texas formally applied for membership in the SEC in a joint letter that was all of three sentences long. Love the efficiency by Hartzell and Harris. The presidents know how to do it. Short and sweet. No wasting of any ink. The the one thing, the one critical thing I'll say about the letter, I think Hartzell's got Harris beat on the signature. Hartzell's signature was pretty sweet. I was like, oh, dang it. Because Joe just, and I love Joe, but he like just signed it kind of like straight up cursive. It's very nice, very neat. But Hartzell, you're just like, oh, hmm. It's pretty mm. pretty strong. Just it's just something time I developing that, huh? Okay, we'll, we'll get to Bob Bowlesby's signature in uh, in a little bit. But the okay, so they they do that on Tuesday, right? Uh, send the letter asking for membership in the SEC. Then the SEC CEOs will meet Thursday, and after the news that came out of the Texas A and M Board of Regents meeting, where they suggested their president vote yes for sec expansion it will be a 14 yes vote for OUN texas they will be approved to come into the sec and friday the board of regents for OUN texas will meet and in all likelihood approve a move to the sec did i get it all ted it's happening it all happened so fast how we feeling did i miss anything um, some stuff that we'll get into, but you didn't miss it. That is the proper timeline. I feel great about it. I think it's fantastic. I think it's a home run for Oklahoma. I think it's a home run for Texas. I think it's a home run for the SEC. Um, it is going to leave a nasty wake, but I I think that in this current you know, time transition period. There's a lot going on in the NCAA right now. You can call it whatever you want. You have to position yourself for the future and you can't wait. Last time 
they got stuck kind of waiting around, worried about leaving people, and they got stuck in a conference that was lackluster, let's face it, for the last decade. And they weren't going to risk that again. I'm torn. I'm a little torn. I think that's how most OU fans feel, right? Like extremely excited that OU is going to be in the SEC because of the sense of competition, uh, just how it's going to affect recruiting, just looking at it from a football perspective. But also the other sports going to be awesome. SEC basketball is going to be great. You you talk about softball, OU baseball. They're going to need to get better. Let's hurry. go. Let's <laughs> they go. need to start getting better. Pick but, it up. So you look at it from that standpoint, and it's very exciting. And what we've talked about how it's a no-brainer financially, right? And it, it secures the long-term stability for the athletic department and for the university with what athletics brings in. So I know it's the best thing for Oklahoma, but I can't pretend like I don't care and I'm not concerned with what's going to happen to Kansas State and Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Like, I I don't know, and those are schools I grew up rooting not for, but when it came to the bowl games, I'm rooting for the Big 12 teams. You know, like I, I was, I grew up in the Big 12. I played in the Big 12. I've defended the Big 12 for years. Now doing this job. And I think it's only natural to feel not like guilty. I don't know if that's the right word where you're just like, you know, this is awesome, but it, it kind of sucks that we're leaving those guys behind. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I think that's only natural to feel that way. Like you can be excited and also be a little bummed at the same time. Right. Well, here's the thing, man. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think this is a home run for Oklahoma, for Texas and for the sec, but I don't think it's good for college football. I don't. I think that, Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 in in some aspects makes the rest of the teams in this conference kind of meaningless overnight. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, uh, we'll see what the, the expanded playoff holds. And we'll see what if the Big 12 stays together, if they can add some teams, if if they dissolve and get swooped up by some others, we'll see where everyone ends up landing. But you do feel like that there's a chance that no one else is going to necessarily be better off. So I, I, I do get that. And it's true. You know, you don't want to see Kansas state turn into a, a Mac team. You know, you don't want to see an Iowa State who absolutely has it going right now and I think is a great program. And has awesome fans. Right. And Ames is a great college town. 
So I do get you. I go. I do understand where you're coming from on that, but it will it will not be long before you'll have new teams to not necessarily cheer for, but cheer against and develop rivalries. And um, it will be different. And it does not come without risk. Financially, it will be a home run. Competitively, you're, you are at a risk. For the longest time, everyone has said Oklahoma's a big fish in a small pond. If they came and played an SEC schedule, played with the big boys, they would not win at the rate that they are would not be making the playoff at the rate that they are. And there's a chance going to the SEC that you could prove them right. And if that happens, then you run the risk of becoming a, I don't think they'll ever ever be a middle of the road SEC team, but not the, not the top of the heap. Yeah. Uh, Just one interesting thing. We've, we've talked about college football playoff expansion. And one of the main reasons that you and I thought it would be a good thing for the most part is that it would keep more people across the country more invested during the season. Uh, it would keep them more intrigued by more games. Maybe more games would feel like they mattered uh, across the country, right? West Coast, Midwest, Southeast, uh, Big Ten country, all that stuff. And now you've got OU and Texas going to the SEC, and it just feels like now there's there's so much invested in that one area of the country, and I I just hope it doesn't it doesn't make people in the state of Iowa, and even though I know they they still have the Hawkeyes, but you know I I hope people in the state of Kansas like don't feel like they've just been left behind. You know what I mean? Like it's those small college towns, those people that live in them and support those teams, like that's that's part of the fabric of college football that makes it the best sport in the world to me. And I completely understand the business side of things, but I also I don't want the magic of college football to go away. I I don't want it to be the NFL. I don't. I, I get it. I get the business aspects of things. I get why OU and Texas are doing this. I just, I have loved college football the way it is for as long as I can remember, even after realignment. And I was playing when that happened, like things changed, but there were still exciting things about the last, the, the last round of realignment, right? A&M was going to be in the SEC, and, you know, what was going to happen with Missouri? Was Colorado going to be able to figure it out in the Pac-12? Like, what was going to happen to the Big 12? Who are they going to add? Like, there was these intriguing storylines. And really, the, the storyline right now, it feels like the SEC's taking over the world and the Big 12's going to die. Yeah. And no, I'm I don't you. know, man. I'm just – I really am torn about it, even though I know it's what's best for Oklahoma long term. I don't right. know. Maybe I'm, I'm getting too emotional about it. I don't know. Well, here's one of the problems, and we talked about this previously. The, the first four-team playoff, the national championship out of that playoff had like 36 million people watched it. 
this most recent one with Alabama and Ohio State had 18 million people watch it. So over the course of a, of a short amount of time, their fan base or their eyeballs on that ultimate game has been cut in half. So the expanded playoff was college football trying to do this, right, and get everyone involved. Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC is doing this again and not what is, like like I said earlier, not ne- not necessarily good for college football. And it has everyone, you know, reevaluating that 12-team playoff. Does the SEC now think that they're going to get four or five teams into a 12-team playoff? Because if you do no. that. No, 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 no. You, you haven't they think they're going to get six. Right, right. But you you haven't done this again. If that's what you're going to do, you're, you're isolating it down to a smaller part of the country, and that's not the goal. The goal needs to be get way more fan bases from all over the country involved if they want the ultimate amount of eyeballs. So you are right. But in Oklahoma stance, that doesn't matter, and it's not going to matter because our yearly payout's going to be huge. Right, and uh, I want to get to some of the reactions that we've seen from you know some powerful people in the last couple of days, but did you see what George Klyavkov said, the Pac-12, the new Pac-12 commissioner, about how he feels good about where the Pac-12 is at? Do you see his reason? The first reason, and I think he said it on like SiriusXM. He goes, I don't know. He said something to the effect of, you know, I feel really good about our position because we're the only conference that has teams in the Pacific time zone and the Mountain time zone. Like that was the first thing he said. And I was like, George, I, I think you need to study it more. Like that's been an issue, my man. But it is, I mean, I guess he he's is. He's not wrong. Yeah, I guess he's not wrong. I was mm. stunned when I heard it. I was like, wait, what? I think there's like 1,200 or 1,300 people that live in the mountain time zone. Right? We'll we'll get our stats department to check that. There's maybe, no way that's right. Maybe a few more, but it's close. It's not full of very many people. Okay, so all of this happens. I right, with OU in Texas this week, and it moved fast. And there were some people that were not very happy about it, Ted. And we saw statements from Big Twelve presidents, uh, athletic directors that put out their statements. A lot of those were, you know, pretty boring especially when you compare it to what we got from new Oklahoma State President Dr. Casey Shrum and Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby. Which one of these do you want to talk about first, Ted? I'll give you, I'll give you the choice. Do you want to talk about what Oklahoma State's president said? Yeah. Or do you want there. to talk about the bender that Bob Bowlesby went on Wednesday night? Let's, let's start with Oklahoma State before we get to big check Bob. Okay. Oklahoma State President, Dr. Casey Shrum. By the way, she's a pediatrician. She ran Oklahoma State's Health Sciences Center. I interviewed her at Big 12 Media Day. I would like to say she is delightful. I asked her all kinds of questions about my son. She gave me some good suggestions that have worked. And I just wanted to say that. I think she's a tremendous person. I just want to throw it out there. Her reaction caused 
quite the reaction uh, here in the state of Oklahoma because she puts out a string of tweets, a thread of tweets, and said, OU in the SEC have been planning this for months. I don't think she's really wrong there. She also said it was a clear breach of Big 12 bylaws. I'm assuming OU and Texas were advised how they could do this without violating said bylaws. But this this was the quote that everyone was talking about from Dr. Shrum, and that was, it is difficult to understand how an Oklahoman institution of higher education would follow the University of Texas to the detriment of the state of Oklahoma. Teddy, your thoughts. It's not right. It's wrong. It's not to the detriment to the state of Oklahoma. It's going to be uh, a great thing for the state of Oklahoma. The, the local economy in Norman from hosting these, these games is going to be booming. Whenever you talk about the, what's gone on around Campus Corner with all of these 11 a.m. kicks and not hosting big games, and anytime you do get a decent game, it's, it's not a primetime kick. It's been a killer to the Campus Corner area. I mean, the difference in a primetime game against a top 25, top 15 opponent, as opposed to an 11 a.m. kick against a, a TCU or Kansas or a Kansas State, it's not even close. The Big 12 does not travel. Nobody from any of those other teams comes to a game in Norman. Nobody does. All right? Whenever you enter the SEC, those fan bases are going to pack this place coming to watch their teams. They're going to be engaged. They're going to come uh, stay in our hotels. They're going to come eat at our restaurants. They're going to come around and see the different spots that this state has to offer, not to mention the amount of money, just the direct payout to the University of Oklahoma is, is going to be substantially larger, and they're going to spend that in ways that's it's going to, again, generate more activity in the, in the local economy. So it's just it's not true. It's not true that it is to the detriment of the state of Oklahoma. It's not. Also, it's, it's going to make OU a bigger brand. And it's going to make more students from outside of the state of Oklahoma want to go to OU. Mm -hmm. And out-of-state tuition is more expensive, brings in more money for the school. Everyone knows about OU's presence here in the state of Oklahoma. I understand what she was saying, and I understand she had to say what she said, right, as the president of Oklahoma State. I don't know. I I, I wouldn't have said that. I mean, I would have said some of that stuff privately. But publicly, I mean, here's the thing, man. Oklahoma State still has a lot on the line with OU. The first thing that they should have been doing is trying to figure out a way to keep Bedlam going around because, you know, they've marketed their tickets packages around season tickets and not being able to buy that single game. And if you piss off that partner to where they don't even want the in-state Bedlam to happen, that's, that's something big. I, I can't imagine, right, new president at Oklahoma State, uh, new athletic director, even though Weiberg's been around there for a while. I can't imagine they want to be the people that lose Bedlam. So I, I, have, a, I have a feeling they'll continue to make that work, and it would be ridiculous. Yeah, Bedlam should be played. Even with OU in the SEC, 
Ted, the SEC, it's, it is littered with non-conference rivalry games. Bedlam, it has to be played. I don't want to. I don't want to hear any reason why it won't be played. It it needs to be played every single year. I hope it does. I do. Um, but a good way to get the other school to not want to play ball is to issue scathing uh, public statements whenever there's really no reason to. I mean, I I don't think that Josie is is petty enough to, to turn around and walk away from something like that. But you start extending lawsuits and claiming bylaws were breached and demanding settlements and, and massive payouts. I mean, that could factor in. And I, like I said, I, I agree. I want, I want Bedlam to continue. I think it's a good game. I think it's a, a really good football game, but a lot of OU fans don't, you know, I would miss it. You gotta have it. Right, you gotta. Ha- I mean, it just has to happen. It has to happen. I'm, I'm, I am standing firm on this. Bedlam <laughs> must be played. I would like it to. I would like it to. I, I think it is for a non-conference game to be right up the road, stays in the state of Oklahoma, both home and away. I, I, I would love that. Honestly, I, I would like it if we played. Oklahoma, if we played Oklahoma State in Tulsa every single year in non-conference. That'd be awesome. I, I will say this. Her statement, she mentions doing things to the detriment of the state of Oklahoma. Not playing Bedlam would be to the detriment of the state of Oklahoma. I, I think agree. we can all agree on that. So play that game every year for the rest of eternity. Please. But you, you don't issues public statements that make it look like you are totally dependent on someone else. And whenever they do something that you don't agree with, you're going to raise some huge, some massive fuss, start kind of pointing fingers and essentially name calling whenever you start saying that they're uh, following the university of Texas. That's, that's not how you do public statements whenever you're that in that position. Well, don't worry. Bob Stoops wrote a rebuttal <laughs> that was in the newspaper. The guy we played for, he's an author now, right. Ted. He's a, is I he a columnist? It. Like, what do we call him? Can you imagine what, if I would have told you, uh, your senior year that what, uh, eight years later, Bob Stoops would be writing a column in the Oklahoma defending OU's move to the sec. I uh, stunned. <laughs> I would be stunned, but it was pretty good. I mean, Bob kind of laid it out the way that you did, Ted. And I have asked Coach to come talk about it on the podcast, and he said, you know, there's still some things that need to happen. You know, things need to be made official, and then uh, he can come on and join us and talk about uh, OU moving to the SEC. Okay, one of the ways that OU can get to the SEC earlier is if the Big 12 starts falling apart, right? If they start panicking, if they get picked off by other conferences, they start making selfish decisions, right? They don't stick together. And if they start bailing, the conference implodes. Well, then OU in Texas, they they can avoid some, some exit fees, some buyouts, whatever you want to call it. 
Well, there was quite the development on Wednesday afternoon <laughs> in one of the most jaw-dropping Twitter storms I've ever seen where it was every reporter. It was like guys from the athletic uh, Ralph Russo from the AP. It was CBS. It was sports illustrated. It was everyone that covers college football. Every single one of those outlets had someone talk to Bob Bowlesby on the phone and he was big mad Ted, as the kids say, the Big 12 knows that if the conference disintegrates, uh, they know that those exit fees goes, go away for Texas and Oklahoma. They're not stupid. But it got real interesting because the Big 12 sent a cease and desist letter to ESPN. I'm not a lawyer, but I know that that's a, oh, wow, okay, situation. And then Bob Bowlesby talked to all of those reporters from different outlets and basically said he has hard evidence. He even called it irrefutable to one person. He said he has hard, irrefutable evidence that ESPN has been conspiring with and offering incentives to the American Athletic Conference to take three to five Big 12 conference members so that the Big 12 will be destabilized and OU in Texas can avoid paying the conference buyout and ESPN can avoid paying the Big 12 because it will no longer exist. He also accused OU and Texas of deception with them and what they've done moving, uh, moving to the SEC. Ted, I'm not sure I've ever seen a conference commissioner this pissed off. It was, I was reading the tweets. I was texting some of the guys that were tweeting this stuff. I was like, this is unbelievable. Have you ever seen a commissioner this pissed off? It, it was wild, bro. Yeah. Um, I, he's, he's probably mad. He got blindsided. Um, I've been frustrated with the leadership in the big 12 for a long time. Um, in my opinion, you should have been reading the tea leaves. Okay. Um, I, you know, I don't know the legalese here as far as what ESPN did or didn't do or can and can't do. I mean, here's the thing that was so interesting about this ESPN doesn't only work with the SEC. They work with most every conference in all of college football to some degree. And if they feel like it's in the AAC's best interest to try and acquire some Big 12 teams, if conference realignment is right there around the corner, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing if they're acting in the best interest for the AAC. The other thing is I don't necessarily – I wouldn't say it's bad advice to big 12 teams to, to find a chair to sit on. You don't want to be stuck when the music stops and not have a place to go and be out of options. So I know they're claiming that time is on their side, but it's really not. If you can't find a dance partner and do it quickly, you could be in trouble if things do fall apart and who's going to be the first person to jump. You better be, 
really resolute in the other seven members, if you're one of the eight that's left right now, that nobody's jumping ship. Can you guarantee that Oklahoma State, thinking that maybe things are going to fall apart, wouldn't take a deal with the Pac-12, or that Kansas wouldn't take a deal with the Big Ten? Because if they do, the whole thing falls apart, and you're going to be left scrambling. Right, and I've I've always thought there was two ways OU could get to the SEC quickly. Uh, number one was just pay the buyout, right? You, you know, you you pay the Big Twelve, and what it's like seventy five, eighty million dollars, something in that range. And I thought it was really interesting that Chip Brown from twenty four seven Sports said a source close to the situation said that the buyout money could come from the roughly $160 million Texas is still owed by ESPN for the final 10 years of Longhorn Network. Hey, if the Longhorns want to pay the Sooners way to the SEC, I'm not throwing the horns up, but you know what? I don't think I could hate them less. I don't know. I was just raised to just, I'd like, Um, I can't compliment Texas. What is happening to me? I know. It's like they're going to pick up our our entry fee into the club. Hey, um, that would be awesome. Uh, By the way, that would be a home run for Oklahoma. And I know obviously everyone's um, trying to figure all of that out right now and how they're going to stroke a check or at least finance that up front. And um, maybe the the SEC does that with your future payout. I I don't know exactly – how that would work, but if that happened, it would be pretty good for OU and <laughs> be shocking know, is what it would be. Like, oh yeah, but yeah, r- really, the way I thought that, you know, the way they could get into the SEC next season, right, is if the Big Twelve started breaking up, and the fact that, I mean, Bowlesby publicly called out their major TV partner and accused them of what's it called? Like tortious interference. I don't even know how to spell that word, but I see it everywhere. I don't know what it means, but I know it's bad. You can't do that. Tortious T O R. I don't even know if that's how you say it. Tortious, tortious interference. I don't know. It's some legal term, but I know it's bad. Can't do it. But I thought that that was the quickest way for them to get, into the SEC and be in that league next season. Now with this whole big 12 and ESPN thing, now you got some of the athletic directors like Jamie Pollard, who I respect a ton, the athletic director there at Iowa state saying, no, 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 we need to stick together for four years, make OU in Texas, pay everything and figure out what our next move is. Like that's, that's, that's our strongest position. So now I'm like, okay, do they get in there next year? And that led me to the realization said that do we necessarily want OU in there next year? I was looking at the roster and follow me next season. If everything goes according to plan this season, right? You're going to have a first year starter at quarterback. You're going to have to replace probably two, two, maybe, maybe three offensive linemen. You're still going to be young at the skill positions. You're going to have to replace possibly the entire defensive line. That's not exactly the position you want to be in heading into the SEC for the first year. So I kind of saw it and I was like, well, maybe, maybe 2023, maybe the 2023 season is best. I, I don't know because it also 
it gives you a couple of years to use it on the recruiting trail. You get to build up that level of talent on the roster. You get to build some more depth. You get to dominate the Big 12, and everyone still hates you while you're doing it, which would be kind of fun for us to enjoy. Because I, I haven't felt – OU's dominated the conference, but OU's never felt like the villain in the conference. It's almost like, ah, uh, you know, yeah, they beat us all the time, but, you know, they're kind of cool. That's how, that's how I feel like OU is treated in the Big 12. But you build up the talent. You build up the depth. You tell the recruits they're going to be part of history, the first OU team in the SEC. You're going to be part of it. I don't know. It got me thinking. Competitively, yeah, it would probably be better to go in 2023, but you're not going to be able to convince uh, the guys that are balancing the checkbook to wait an extra year whenever they can rip the Band-Aid off now. And I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think it's going to – I think that teams are going to get antsy and when an offers start coming around, they're going to jump ship. I think the strong stance that Bob Bowlesby is taking right now is the remaining institutions trying to force the OU Texas into um, some type of settlement, some type of penalty, some type of you know, monetary payout to, to make this thing go away. And maybe that's from ESPN. Maybe it's from their own coffers. I don't necessarily know, but I, and I don't know, obviously these not a lawyer don't know how these contracts are written, but ESPN is not exclusive to the big 12. I mean, they can, they can operate in other teams and other conferences, best interests, I would guess, but I don't know. Yeah, but I think – and Bowlesby in the cease and desist letter, he kind of references some points in the contract and the agreement, uh, the, the broadcast agreement that they have with ESPN and basically said that there's these sections that ESPN vi violated by trying to get – basically he said, hey, you're trying to get the AAC to poach our team so that – OU and Texas get to the SEC and you benefit from it. That's basically what the letter says. I Lawyers, I'm sure we got lawyers that listen to this. Well, they're going to make an argument that how in the hell are we benefiting from it? We're going to have to pay $160 million, you know, if they're going to the SEC. And then you say, well, yeah, but uh, whenever you're talking to these other teams, it's like, well, well we're, we're acting in the best interest of the AAC. Could be wrong, but I, I imagine that these like Josie, Texas, ESPN didn't just shotgun this thing, you know, from the hip as they're going. I mean, you would think that they've had all this figured out, but I don't know. Maybe well, ESPN this did get the cart ahead of the horse. Yeah. This wasn't, he didn't say he cut, he throws a little passive aggressive jab in there about the OU Texas. C. He's like, put that aside. Aside from the, you know, OU in Texas and your likely dealings in that, he, he really was pissed at the American more than anything, I think, is kind of the read. Well, in ESPN, obviously. I don't know. It's going to be really fun to see where that goes. So, Ted, for our call your shot question, uh, we asked the listeners, do they want OU to be in the SEC in 2022? The season rolls around. Why? Why? Or why not? We got a lot of responses, but 
A good one came from Corey White at CWhite underscore OU on Twitter says, yes, without question, there will be enough hostility from opponents slash fans this coming year. A couple more years would be undesirable. Cut the cord. Let's move on. Which, Corey, oh, sweet, sweet Corey. I'm not sure if you're worried about what big 12 fans are going to be like this year. I need you to prepare yourself, son, because the sec is a different world. My friend, those people when on Saturdays, when you're playing against their team, they have hate in their heart and alcohol coursing through their veins. I'm just telling you, you won't see anything more hostile this year in the Big 12 than you're going to see every weekend in the SEC. And I'm not trying to, you know, blow. We've never had hostile in the Big 12. Dude, I, people that, and I'm sorry to bring up the game, Ted, but people that went to that LSU national championship game in New Orleans, I know people that are scarred from that experience. I mean, Scott, like still talk about it. And when they're talking about it, they get this look in their eye, like this, just like just fear in their eye. And they stare off to the side when they're telling the stories. It's just Corey. It's, it's going to be bad in the new conference. It's going to be bad. My friend. Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's a different style of, uh, watching and cheering for football games than what we're accustomed to. It's gonna, it's it's gonna be totally different, and it's gonna be different both home and away. We've been playing in a conference that travels zero people, friends and family, right? That have tickets through the athletic department. A lot of times they don't even sell out those allotments. Teams in the Big Twelve don't travel, and a lot of teams don't fill their stadiums unless OU's in town. And sometimes when OU's in town, they still don't fill them. That's not going to be the case. Every stadium you go to, for the most part, is going to be packed. It's going to be bigger than our stadium. And whenever they play us at home, they're going to travel and they're going to show up on Wednesday and Thursday in Norman. It's going to be totally different. Uh, Another response comes from our friend Dingleberry Jay. Our man Dingleberry Jay's back. He says, hopefully not. We need the 22 season in Big 12 to get Caleb, the RBs, the entire D-line, linebackers, and safeties ready for SEC play. Don't want first season in SEC in a rebuild. I Listen, if you're scared, get a dog. That's, uh, I mean, that's kind of how I, I think about life. But I agree with our man Diggleberry J a little bit that, you know, maybe two more seasons. What is it? It's his name. It's his name on Twitter. It's, I, I, know, it's I know. his handle is literally at Dingleberry J. I mean, that's I what it, it is. It just whenever you threw it directly into your statement, it caught me off guard. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, you know, if you're talking about, okay, good results in your first season, the ideal thing would be, oh, using the SEC right now in the fall because they're going to have a really, really good team. Next year's team, a lot of talent, not going to have a ton of experience at some critical position. So we'll see. You know, competitively, I can, I can see. 
Dingleberry J is correct. Financially, I hate to break it to Dingleberry J, but it's not going to matter. I ripped the Band-Aid off. They're going to want it right now. All, all, all parties involved. Television partners, administration, fans, they're going to want it now. Right. All right, let's get to our interview with Royce Young. But first, First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma, tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more, they do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit FFB.com for more information. And don't forget to send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. All right, here's Royce Young. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that you can see on ESPN all the time, that beautiful face in all of its glory. You can read all of his content on ESPN.com as well. No one has covered the Oklahoma City Thunder better over the years than Royce Young. What's up, man? What an what an intro that is. I don't know if they anybody's covered him better, but I don't. I, certainly, nobody's covered him longer. Maybe Barry Trammell's got me beat, but I've been around just about as long as anybody on this Thunder team. Yeah, and that's why to talk a little NBA draft, I, I knew where I was going to. And uh, thanks for joining us, man. Before we get into the NBA draft and what the Thunder might be doing with those three first-round picks, you're a big OU football guy. Mm-hmm. OU's going to the SEC. It's essentially a done deal. It'll We'll see what year they end up getting in what's your reaction excited nervous this is why you're a pro gabe is because you you uh even though this is nba draft talk you you go where your bread is buttered and you talk conference realignment <laughs> that's what and nobody can get away from it right now um i'm fired up about it honestly i mean you know there's there's some there's part of you that is um a little sad about some of the traditional elements of the big 12 going away you know obviously bedlam is a huge deal and it's really important for the state and um, you know, who knows what the future of that may hold if it turns into a non-conference game or not. But, you know, I just think from the perspective of, you know, I'm an OU alum and, and I, I love going to Norman on Saturdays. And I have to be honest, like the home schedule just is it's been lacking. You know, I mean, like it, TCU coming to Norman, West Virginia coming to Norman, Kansas, like those games just aren't big Saturday games. And so, you know, I think for OU, like their biggest game every year is never in Norman. It's in Dallas. And the second biggest is every other year when they get to play Oklahoma state. And then on the off year, Iowa state's good or somebody else. So, you know, for me, I'm just thinking about what Saturdays will look like uh, in the fall and thinking about Georgia coming to Norman or Auburn or Tennessee or Florida, whoever. I mean, that to me, that's really exciting just as a fan. So I'm, I'm fired up about it. I think OU is going to do awesome. I, I, I think that, you know, 
there's there's no hesitation for me in terms of competitiveness how you will do with it well I, it's going to be fun for sure i'm totally with you the home home games home schedules road schedule is going to be awesome some of those places we've never been oh, before good point yeah it's going to be fantastic. I'll be hopping on the road to go to some of those stadiums, Teddy. I mean, that'll be awesome to go to I some know. of those. Hell man. yeah, boys. Depending on what the like, how they do the divisions or the pods or whatever, like, the first four years is going to feel like a straight-up non-conference schedule where yeah. you go a new place every single year. It's going to be awesome. It'll be like, oh, using a bowl game every Saturday. <laughs> That's right. what it'll feel like it'll be. That's right. And everyone's going to be uh, – Come January, the liver's going to need a break. <laughs> SEC. It's going to be uh, fun. Yeah. Okay, let's let's get into the NBA draft stuff. This is your this is your expertise. Yeah. Voice and uh, want to start with Cade Cunningham, right? Got to see him play here in the state of Oklahoma with what he did at Oklahoma State. Extremely impressive one year in college uh, for the Cowboys. Is he definitely going number 1? Do you and do you think it'll be Detroit that is drafting him? Because a lot of rumors out there about teams trying to make mm-hmm. moves to come get Cade Cunningham at one. I mean, I'm not going to say definitely, Gabe. I, you know, I I think that it's you know 90 sure, 95 sure on both those fronts. You know, I, I you hear a lot of smoke around draft time. Teams are talking constantly. People want the number one pick. I mean, there's a lot of teams that want the number one pick because they want Cade Cunningham. Um, so. You know, I think Detroit's fielding a lot of calls about it and they're, they're kind of gauging a lot of that. But, you know, I, I think when it comes to the NBA draft, uh, Occam's razor applies most of the time of like the most likely scenario is going to play out, which is Detroit's going to just select Cade Cunningham num- number one overall. You don't see number one picks get traded all that often. It's a really risky proposition to do. Um, it's the type of thing that if you make them make a mistake on that, you know, you get fired. And and for me, I'm just sitting here looking at what Troy Weaver and the Detroit Pistons need. They need a franchise changer. They need, they need Cade Cunningham. And so, you know, I know there's been a little bit of buzz recently about Jalen Green um, has really looked really good in a lot of private workouts. Uh, Evan Mobley is somebody that, that a lot of uh, executives are fascinated by because of his size and his skill. And, th- and that's kind of what unique about this draft, right guys. I mean, like there's, there's three guys that could be the number one overall pick, maybe four. I think Jalen Suggs is in that conversation too. Um, and any other year, you know, Cade Cunningham is just without a question, number one pick, but that's why this draft is really unique is because there's four guys that are capable of being that. But I think when it comes down to it, you're going to hear Cade Cunningham's name called number one overall for the Detroit Pistons. How do you think he compares with some of the recent guys in this league that have come out of the draft and turned into, you know, big time players, uh, number one players on their team, some of the super young superstars mm-hmm. in the league? I think the the young stars in the league are, are really good. I mean, I think yeah. there's really oh, yeah. good young talent. Does he stack right up the, up there with it? Because I'll be honest, you know, a lot of times some some number ones, just like you could tell, like, yeah. oh, yeah, that guy is a, a clear number one. So with Kate, it's been a little bit more difficult for me. I think mm-hmm. there's some good NBA upside there. But is he like a is he a franchise, like a superstar you build a team around? You bring up a good point, Teddy, because, in, you know, he is not kind of that transcendent number one, like a Tim Duncan or a LeBron or an Anthony Davis or a Zion. The guys that are just like without a question your franchise changing player. Cade Cunningham, I think what 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 has kind of put him in this position is that his floor is so high 
that there's almost no fear in taking him. Like Cade Cunningham is going to be a starting caliber guard in the NBA and he's going to have a long career and he's going to be really good. He's just got too much skill, too much size. He's an incredibly intelligent player. And so I think for, for an executive, there's just a lot of comfort in knowing that like Cade Cunningham is going to be a good pick and I'm not going to get that wrong, but I think you make a good point that, that he, he you know, he doesn't scream, um, you know, a guy that is, is, you know, going to be making all NBA teams. He might. And and that's the thing that, that I think with, with drafts and we look back on them all the time, you know, we, we talk about the draft from a couple of years ago and how good it's turned out to be with Deandre Ayton now blossoming into a good player, Luka Doncic, Trey Young. There were also a couple top six, top eight players that have really not panned out all that well. We're talking about how good that draft is when three of those guys have turned out to be really good. So, you know, not everybody is going to, is going to hit. Um, but I, I think for Cade Cunningham, you know, one of the things that I've heard people around the league kind of comparing to is, um, and, you know, comps are risky, but I, I think there are some Luka Doncic vibes coming from a guy like Cade Cunningham. He's got size. He's, he's not going to blow you away with like first step quickness or like just unbelievable athleticism, but he plays angles really well. He handles the ball well. He's, he's just savvy in all areas. And so um, I think people can really see his game growing in the NBA level where he's good in isolation. You can put the ball in his hands. You can take him off the ball and he can play every position that you want him to play. So I, I think that that's, that's kind of the fascination with him. Okay. When, when I talk to guys that really study the draft, uh, they all have just a couple of guys that they fall in love with when they're studying the prospects. Yeah. Who are those guys for you, Royce? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. Um, and some of those guys, you, you try to scrub from history, Gabe, that you never want anybody to know that you like, <laughs> I always, I always, um, uh, I think his name was, uh, was it Justin Hamilton, the kid from Texas, or was it Jordan Hamilton? I can't even remember his name. I thought he was like this, like, like for the thunder years ago, I thought like this was the pick and like, you know, I can't remember the guy's name anymore. And I, I, I make sure that that all those, all those comments are scrubbed from history. You gotta own it, uh, boys. <laughs> I own the, maybe the, most awful NBA draft uh, prediction of all time is Anthony Davis was was too thin, too skinny to be in the NBA. See, there you go. I mean, I, here's one. Here's another one, uh, uh, Teddy, that I, I own. DJ Augustine. I said he was going to be the next Chris Paul. <laughs> like I was convinced. Like DJ Augustine <laughs> is going to be the next Chris Paul. Um, so anyway, uh, the guy that I I fell in love with early is Jalen Suggs. I I watched like Gonzaga's like I think they were in a tournament early in the year um, and they were playing Kansas, I want to say, and it was one of those big games and I was watching Jalen Suggs play and I was texting a, a few other NBA people about him. And I, and, you know, at this time, you know, he was, he was considered one of, to be one of those top prospects, but he wasn't like seen to be um, necessarily on that level of Kate Cunningham yet, or even maybe at the time, Jonathan Kaminga was really seen to be one of those, top three guys. Um, and I was like, man, I I'm in love with Suggs. I love the motor. I love the intensity. I kind of get some Westbrook vibes from him with that kind of competitiveness. And then obviously, you know, he just explodes and makes some of the greatest plays that we've ever seen in NCAA tournament history with what he did in the final four. Um, I, I really like him. I've really kind of fallen in love with James book Knight too. I, I, you know, I, I get Devin Booker vibes from him with his shooting ability, uh, he just looks so smooth. He's got size. You know, I feel like you can just see him translating into being a really high level NBA scorer. The downside to him, just based on his 
his time at UConn is that he just never passed. I mean, like literally, I don't know if you can find a pass on tape at this point because like that guy, the ball hit his hands and he wanted to score. So um, I, those are the kind of the two guys that I've kind of fallen in love with myself. But like if I was an NBA exec and, and I had the number one overall pick, I'd be looking long and hard at Jalen Suggs just because to me, like you're, you're the whole purpose of this pick is to find a guy that's going to win you basketball games. And to me, Jalen Suggs is going to win you basketball games. I don't know if he'll be the best player. Like Russell Westbrook wasn't necessarily the best player from his draft, but he was going to win you basketball games. That guy was going to bring it every single night. And I kind of get that same type of feeling out of Jalen uh, Suggs. Well, this isn't necessarily a uh, like a Thunder exclusive question, but the NBA draft is always full of trades sometimes some far out there trades that are impossible mm. to keep track of on the night of but is this going to be one of those years where there's a ton of movement do you think um do you think it's going to stay pretty straight up through at least through the the maybe the first eight or ten picks or something or is this is this going to be a crazy one i you know from from what i hear from people they expect a lot of trades now you know, it's one of those things where you hear that almost every single year of like, oh, this year there's going to be a lot of movement. Look out. And look, there will be some. We've already seen, you know, we've already seen a couple. Um, they've just, you know, they just recently happened um, with what Memphis and New Orleans just did. Uh, you know, Memphis moving up to get the number 10 pick. You know, heck, the Thunder uh, made a trade with, you know, that got them another first round pick in the Kimball Walker deal. So there's been a few a few deals already kind of in advance of the draft. Um, but you know, what, what we hear from a lot of people right now is that this top 10 is really hard to get into, but people are really eager to get into the top 10 and, you know, more and more scouts are kind of evaluating this first round and saying, you know, it's, it's not just a top four heavy draft, like there's good players to be had in the teens. And I, and I think for some of these teams, they're looking to, um, you know, you know, we can use the thunder as an example, like they've got two mid-teen picks with the 16 and 18. Those are going to be really valuable picks. And so the Thunder can leverage those to move up maybe to 11 or 12. Um, I, th- I think that they're going to get a lot of calls about those. So, uh, you know, I-, I think in terms, though, Teddy, of like the, the, big, the big stuff, you know, are we going to see Bradley Beal move on draft night? Are we going to see Ben Simmons move? I, I don't expect that. I mean, I'd be a little surprised if one of those types of things happen. But I think there's going to be considerable movement with a lot of these picks because I think people want to get into the top 15. They want to get into the top 10. Okay, let's let's get to the Thunder stuff, Royce. And, and I, I want to start here. W- why are so many people trying to trade Shea Gilgis <laughs> Alexander from the Thunder? The anonymous sources. When yeah, we yeah. all know that nothing comes out of that organization, really. Like, why are people doing this to us? Why are they putting us through this pain, man? So, I mean, we could go into a whole breakdown, Gabe, of where a lot of these sorts of things are coming from. I mean, and I don't want to disparage any other people because, you know, everybody talks to some somebody, hopefully. Hopefully they're not just completely making it up out of thin air. Um, but, you know, I think that some of these rumors that we've heard of SGA and the number six pick being offered to Detroit, you know, I just question the validity of it because, look, I, I know firsthand, I'm, you know, I've covered the league for a long time and I talked to a lot of people there is a lot of smoke that goes on in these sorts of things. And a lot of times people are trying to gain advantages. And so if you're the Detroit Pistons, it makes you look very good to say, Hey, Oklahoma city called us up and they wanted the number one pick so bad that they were going to offer us SGA. Who's a 23 year old borderline all-star who averaged 23, five and five last year on 50, 40, 80 percentages um, and the number six pick. So like you, you want to ask me how valuable the number one pick is. We turn that down. 
So like, you got to bring it if you want that. So like, you know, I think that sometimes, you know, I, I just question why these things come out, where they're coming from. Um, you know, from the Thunder's perspective, I, I, I'm i not of the belief that Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been included seriously in any trade talks at this point. You know, from what I understand, the Thunder are eager to offer him a contract extension and make him part of their long-term future. You know, I think SGA is going to have more trade value if he is going to be a player that they trade after they sign him to a contract extension, not before. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I think the Thunder do want the number one overall pick, and it would not shock me because it would require probably SGA to get it, that that conversation may have been had. But I, I don't think that SGA has been included in any trade conversation all that seriously to this point. Is it a – do you think if something like that happened and they did go after the number one pick, is it a, is Kate Cunningham? Is that it? I, I would think so. You know, I mean, I think that there has been – I think the Thunder are really high on Evan Mobley. I think just he kind of fits their profile. And, I, you know, positionally, I think he fits them really well, Teddy. You know, I, I you know, in terms of um, – this is also something funny to me about the whole SGA conversation. I've seen some other people talking about – even a colleague of mine, Tim Bontemps, who I love dearly, said that, like, SGA doesn't really fit the Thunder's timeline. He's 23. <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about here. Like, let's, let's say they draft a 20-year-old in this draft – when that guy's 23, SGA will be 26. <laughs> like, it's not like that. That's not like, anyway. Um, but, you know, I, I think I think that Cade Cunningham probably would be the guy because I think that, you know, the, the beauty of a player like SGA is I think he's going to fit well playing alongside just about anybody. Now, maybe in terms of roster construction, they would reevaluate it. And maybe they would, you know, move SGA for, for other pieces later on or something, just depending on what they had in, in a guy like Cade Cunningham. But I, I would I would expect that would be who they would want. I think it's more likely that the Thunder are trying to move to number three or number four because I, I think that they do have their eyes on Evan Mobley. I think that, that, that they would really like to get in that conversation. He just fits a lot of what their needs are, and also I think there's a lot of potential for him. And I think they're really eager to get a guy like that in terms uh, of their developmental um, approach. So, you know, I, and for them, you know, this is why you get all those picks, right? I mean, they have they have a gazillion picks in their back pocket right now. And, you know, everybody is sitting there wondering, is Sam Presti going to pick up the phone and make the Godfather offer and say, Hey, do you want four future first rounders? Because that's how bad I want Evan Mobley. And, you know, so um, I, I don't know how much it would require a player for Oklahoma city to move up into those spots. I just, cause I think they have such a, such a war chest of, uh, of draft picks to use. Yeah. Royce, I think, I think you're right on it. I think they'll try to move up. I don't, they won't be able to get to number one. I think Detroit is is going to take Cunningham because they don't want their entire fan base to riot. Yeah. But if the Thunder aren't able to move up from six and they're, they end up with that pick at six, who are their options? Who do you think they would seriously consider if they are selecting at number six? Yeah, you know, and – you know, I, I think that one of the things that everyone has to kind of caution themselves with is getting kind of like hyped up on moving up um, because the most likely scenario, Gabe, is that they pick sixth. OK, like trading in the draft is really hard to do because everybody wants so much because they know they you know, they're guessing about what you want and they're weighing whether or not they want that. It's, it's so hard to move up, especially in the top of the draft. So my expectation, if I was going to make a prediction, is that the Thunder will probably end up picking sixth. Um, you know, I, I think some of it will depend, obviously, on what's available there. Scotty Barnes, his profile has, has risen so much in the last few weeks that it doesn't look like he will be there. You know, there's, there's some talk that even he could go as high as four 
that uh, Orlando um, or that uh, Toronto likes him and that he won't get by Orlando at five. Um, I think that that would kind of leave the Thunder picking between two guys at that point. I think it'd be pretty, pretty straightforward. They would either go with Jonathan Kaminga, who was originally seen to be one of these, you know, top four guys. You know, he was a guy in that mix for number one overall pick. You know, his stock has fallen somewhat. I don't know if he hasn't done well in the, in the, in his workouts. I don't know if his interviews have not gone all that well. Cause he really played pretty well in the G league bubble. You know, he, he is wasn't, it, is it the whole, he can't shoot thing that might be part of it, you know, <laughs> but then again, Sam Presti's probably going, Ooh, can't shoot. Wait, 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 long, extremely athletic wing that can't shoot. Uh, yeah. So I think it'd be between him and I think it'd be, uh, James Booknight, who I, I think the Thunder have, have long been fascinated with. I think um, Jonathan Gavoni uh, put this in his mock draft recently that the Thunder even uh, wanted him to, to jump into the draft last season because they were interested in maybe picking him. So um, I think that those two guys are kind of in the, it would be who it would be between, unless somebody kind of unexpectedly fell to them. If Scotty Barnes was there, then he, you know, he could be in that conversation as well. I think Kaminga, you know, look, I, I, it, it would be a hard choice. I think Kaminga is, it's maybe a little bit more of like the correct pick for the thunder in some ways, just because there is a lot of potential there with him. And you're talking about a team that, you know, look, the Thunder want to get better and they want to start winning games, but they're also very developmentally focused. And, and Kaminga is somebody that I think teams are a little bit afraid of because they're like, can we bring it out of him? You know, can, can we, you know, hit that home run and, and really kind of crush the developmental thing with him and bring out the star that he's capable of being? Thunder have a great track record of doing that. And I think that they'd be very confident in bringing him in and saying, look, we'll go through the growing pains with you. Your rookie season can be terrible. We just played Poku at point guard for crying out loud last year. All right. Like, come on in Kaminga. You can do, you know, you can play some five if you want to, we don't care. We're willing to commit to you developmentally. And so I think he'd be a pretty good fit for them. What would you do? Uh, Not what do you think the thunder are going to do? Not What do you think Sam Presti is going to do? Knowing the assets that he's got, all the picks that he has, where they sit currently in the draft, the guys on roster, SGA, trade talk, all of that stuff. What would you do at GM at the top of this this um, this draft? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, stating the obvious that I'm I'm woefully underqualified to ever make a decision in terms of NBA personnel. <laughs> Come on, Roy. Don't sell I mean, yourself short, man. Come oh, on, man. I couldn't handle the pressure of, of doing that. Uh, I sat in the um, at, last year. I wrote a story about the Minnesota Timberwolves, kind of like a behind the scenes thing of them when they had the number one pick. And I spent like a week in their like war room and everything and watching them evaluate picks and like the amount of like information and research and interviews i mean it is staggering to think to just know what these guys know so like me just big dumb dumb here that's watched some youtube videos of a guy (laughs) but um you know i i think what i would do in this situation because i do believe the thunder have a really really high level in sga i think he is really um a, a spectacular player i don't think he is your best player on an elite team. Like if you want to be an elite team in the West, I don't think SGA can be your best player. I think he needs to be your one B. So with that said, I think that they need to find that guy. I think that that guy is very likely in this draft. And I would, I would go ahead and cash in some chips to try to get there. I would try to move up to three or four. And if, and like I said, I, I like Jalen Suggs a lot. I, I think that he would fit extremely well playing along SGA. I think he would raise the competitive level. I think he'd be a great culture fit. Um, to me, I would cash in chips to try to go get Suggs. I think he'd probably be available at four. Um, to me, that's what I would do. I just, I, I think, I think that you're you're on the path to being a really good team again if you can have a core of Suggs and SGA together, Lou Dort, 
maybe Poku, if, you know, if he can improve, I, I think you're, you're now starting to kind of put together the core of a team that could be pretty good in a couple of years. So you look at the Thunders picks at 16 and 18 that you mentioned earlier, Royce, have you studied, do you think you've studied the obscure international players <laughs> enough that Sam Presti will undoubtedly draft with those picks. Here's how much studying I've done, Gabe. I actually went on YouTube today because um, I wanted to make sure that I knew how to say Alperin Shingen's name correctly. And I believe that's nailed how you it. Say that. Yeah, so <laughs> that's that's pretty much the. Um, I mean, I look. I'm I'm not like crushing tape on these guys or anything. I, I read the mock drafts like everybody else. You know, I watch some some clips of them. You know, my guy Kevin Pelton at ESPN. He has uh, Shingun ranked as his number one prospect based on statistics, like number one guy. Just and uh, he, he's a 19 year old. He just turned 19, played in the basketball super league in Turkey. Um, compares statistically to guys like Luka Doncic and Anthony Davis, who Teddy obviously thought would be a complete bust. So, um, <laughs> but um, you know, I look. I, he's somebody. I don't know that he would fall to the Thunder in that place, but I, I'd say this, Gabe. I think he is somebody that they could target at 10, 11, or 12. Um, if they wanted to, to pull the lever on 16 and 18, try to package to move up. I think that he'd be a guy that they'd really look at there. Um, Keon Johnson's a guy I think that the, the Thunder have been linked to to a degree just because they love the athleticism there. I mean, once you get into that range, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're kind of taking some shots in the dark. You're hoping that you hit a home run on somebody, but it's really hard to project. You know, Moody from Arkansas is a player I think the Thunder like also, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to guess on those guys. Gabe's going to get mad at me, but – uh oh. I got to ask you, are you, are you ever kind of shocked with where the thunder are right now? Like if, if we'd have gone back five years ago or whenever it was before KD's decision. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, with what they've got and what, how that team looks and how young they are, would you ever picture them kind of being in this spot to where they tank into improved draft pick? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that at some point, everybody kind of realizes the NBA is so cyclical, especially with, with a, a situation like Oklahoma City's where you're not bringing in a free agent that's going to kind of bolster your team. Um, you know, because I look at it this way, Teddy, like, you know, let's let's just kind of like, you know, step into like the world of Loki here. We're going to go on an alternate timeline, right? Or we're going to branch our timeline. And we're going to say in 2016, Kevin Durant leaves and they, you know, at that time, it was like, what do they do with Russell Westbrook? Let's say the Thunder trade Russell Westbrook for draft picks then. And they just start that rebuild right then and there, because that's what a lot of people kind of thought might happen at that point. Um, you know, I, I, you can kind of unwind that and start saying, well, here's some of the players that they would have had available. They could have drafted Jason Tatum. They could have drafted Luka Doncic the year after that. You know, what if the Thunder had Luka Doncic and Jason Tatum right now? So, you know, I think that these are the type of things that eventually kind of the bell tolls for everybody. Um, and you know, I think when, when they had KD, when they had Russ, it felt like they were set up for a title run for a long time, but once Kevin Durant made his decision, it really put the thunder in a precarious position that they were going to have to kind of branch these timelines and go one way or the other. Russ decided that he wanted to stay and they wanted, and so they tried to rebuild a contender. 
you know, I think that I think they did a really admirable job. It, the partnership between Paul George and Russ just didn't quite work out. Carmelo Anthony trade didn't really work all that well. They had a good team. I mean, they, they were a good team, but um, I, I think for just them, it, they just, it, there was an understanding there of like, look, it was just going to happen at some point. I, you know, one of the, one of the scenarios, alternate scenarios that I do kind of wonder is like, what if they hadn't traded Chris Paul last year? <laughs> you know, like what, you know, with this Thunder team, because, you know, they, I think they, they were in a position to, to remain good. Like they could have remained good. They could have kept Steven Adams. They could have, or even traded for Al Horford for crying out loud, just swap Adams for Horford. You know, you bring back Chris Paul, you bring back Schroeder, like you're in the playoffs again, most likely. But I think what the Thunder were asking themselves is like, are we, are we willing to be the Indiana Pacers? Are we willing just to be in the playoffs or how do we get back to that top tier? And so that's what they're kind of going through this pain and as excruciating as it might feel, they want to be back at that top tier. Last one, Royce, we'll let you run, man. What does, and I know Giannis is, you know, the, the, the guy's unbelievable. There's not a lot mm-hmm. of guys like that walking around the planet, but what is Giannis staying in Milwaukee and being able to win a title that way? What does that mean for Oklahoma city in your mind? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I think I, I have to think that, you know, not just Oklahoma city Gabe, but Charlotte, new Orleans, um, a lot of smaller markets are looking at that situation and saying that is, that is our dream, right? Like, that we can build an organic winner. Now the bucks approached it a much different way. And, and, you know, I'm sure Adam silver is calling up every owner and saying, see, you don't have to tank because the bucks never wanted to, like they never went through that. I mean, they, they had a couple bad teams in there um, where they drafted Jabari Parker, you know, when Giannis was, uh, was the raw player that he was, but they weren't intentionally going through really a tank situation. They've always tried to remain good. um, And Giannis was picked 15th overall, but like the chances that you're going to nail a pick at 15 overall, that's the quality of Giannis. Like that's pretty, pretty rare. <laughs> so, um, but I, I think that for a lot of small market franchises, they look at that and they can say it can be done. And, 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 you know, the Thunder were kind of the original version of it, right? Like with Durant and, and it was hard. I I'm sure that you guys probably felt the same way I did watching Giannis sit there on the end of the bench with that towel over his head. Um, you know, and like that achievement that he had winning it with the team that drafted him, that kind of organic, you know, Sam Presti once called the thunder, the farm to table uh, champion. It was hard not to imagine that should have been Kevin Durant. Like that should have been the thunder story right there of like that crowning achievement, but it wasn't to be, but I, I do think it does demonstrate that you can get there. And like, it's, it's, it's not always about the LA teams. It's not always about Miami. It's not always about the East coast. It can be done, but I think what Sam Presti would tell you right now, if he was on this podcast is that you got to go through some hard times to make that happen. One quick follow-up Gabe. And that was kind of from the team's perspective of, of does that show that you can do it? What about players? Do you think that kind of the love that Giannis has got for doing it that way and the way people have characterized LeBron and mm-hmm. KD and some other players, do you think anyone superstars, especially with today's money, do you think anyone is maybe looking at it differently than they may have three, four or five years ago? I sure hope so, Teddy. I mean, look, you know, but then again, the guy that to me was kind of the shining example of this 
is now supposedly maybe asking out in a trade. And that's Damian Lillard, right? Like he was like the loyal guy that it wasn't because to me, it was always like, we we've developed such a rings identity within the NBA that you're not validated until you win a championship. And I always really respected Dame because he was pushing back on that. Like you can have a legendary career and be a great all-time player and be remembered forever in your city or even just across the league. And, and you don't have to necessarily crown it with a title. And now, but like the pressure to win is just so immense that I think sometimes everybody caves to that. So to your question, I, I hope that that reframes a little bit of that because look at a guy like Durant. I mean, it's hard not to compare it directly of Durant's championships versus Giannis's. And this was part of the pitch that the Thunder made to Durant and telling him to stay as, look, you're going to go to Golden State and you're going to win all these titles, but not every championship is created equal. And I think that this is a great example of this, of like Giannis is one championship. Man, does that, is that guy not validated for life? Like that guy is going to forever be remembered as an NBA all-timer while we sit here and debate and discuss the validity of Durant's championships. Like well, everyone will say that with LeBron. Like True. Yeah, he had the I mean, Miami stuff. He had the Lakers stuff, but the one that everyone like looks at and respects you're is exactly the- right. Yeah, the Cleveland title is the one, right? Like if LeBron hadn't won that one, I think that there would be a lot more questions about it. So I I, I hope that that's what players are rec- recognizing to some degree is that if you want to be admired, if you want to be universally respected, it doesn't have to be in one of the big market teams. It doesn't have to be on a super team. The pressure to win is so immense that you don't have to go win four or five titles. Like you can do it the hard way. And I, and I think that Giannis has really developed a lot of respect from people and, and hopefully that there's some, uh, there's some long lasting effects of that. Royce, you're the best man. Cannot wait to see you in the Paycom Center <laughs> That's right. this year, buddy. <laughs> How about that? Look at the big, right. big time local sponsor. Look at the I Thunder know. go. I know. I love was... before people stop instinctively calling it the peak. I know. I that it took me a minute to stop calling it the Ford Center. I still call honest. it the Ford Center every once in a while. I mean, like you know, I, I think it's it. It'll take it. I always. I, I wonder, like, how do they decide arena versus center? Like, you know, is Chesapeake Energy Arena? I, I was thinking. I was thinking, and I don't know what like constitutes a pavilion, but Paycom <laughs> Pavilion, kind of like yeah. Poly Pavilion, that would have been kind of cool. There you go. I really don't think there's anything that you just kind of throw anything out there you want. Like, name what, it something. Called What's it the a Paycom pavilion? Garden, yeah, you know? Paycom Park. I don't know. Paycom Fieldhouse. <laughs> you know, like, who, knows? who knows? But at least yeah. they got it done. They, they, right, have, boys, they have a sponsor. That's all yeah. that matters. You, you can catch all of his content on the multitude of ESPN platforms. Royce, you're the man. Thanks for the time, buddy. You bet. My pleasure, guys. Love Royce. I lo- love how I, I, I've always appreciated the way he covers the Thunder. He's, he's very fair, critical, just he, he does a great job. And it's, it's been cool to see him kind of get elevated there at ESPN covering the nba ted i i don't know he's he feels like he's one of us does that make sense no absolutely he's 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 been fantastic um been following royce young and his work for a long time so uh i, I think he does a great job like you said fair um critical when he needs to talks about uh, the good stuff that they've done no doubt knows the real ins and outs of of not just the basketball team but the organization has a good beat on what they're going to do and what might come next. So, uh, like always, fantastic stuff from Royce. Right. All right, let's get to our winners and losers of the week. But first, 
Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And guys, summer is here, and it's hot this week, man. It is hot. And you know what can quench your thirst when it's hot? Will and Wiley Hard Seltzer from Coop Aleworks. It's the only hard seltzer we drink on this podcast, and it is perfect for any occasion. We drink it by the pool, at the lake, and at the tailgate. It is made in Oklahoma, and it is absolutely delicious. Will and Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in the store near you, and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? Well, there's been a bunch of bad public statements made over the last oh, week to 10 days. Um, A&M's athletic director at SEC Media Days, Bullsby, I don't know, four or five separate, separate times, uh, the new president at Oklahoma State. They could all learn a lesson on public statements from one John Manziel, okay? When asked about Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC, this is what he said. Lucky for A&M, we have a nine, almost 10-year head start on both of these teams being in the SEC. The rivalry's been gone for a while, but now it looks like it's coming back. It's time to just sack up and go play the game. We're in a good position. We have a good coach. We have a good team. If they want to come to the SEC and see what it's all about, then we'll welcome them with open arms. But it's no cakewalk, and it's not the Big 12. So it should be interesting to see how things play out. That's how you do it, Gabe. That's all you got to say, right? You don't bitch and complain and, oh, my God, we wanted to be the only ones. And, oh, my gosh, how could you ever follow Texas? And uh, that's how you issue a statement. That's it. And he's had eight beers and is playing in a golf tournament, and he got the statement right. I mean, come on. It's not that hard. One interesting thing about Johnny, and I, I was teammates with Johnny, and it, it, I wasn't teammates with him for long, but he was awesome. I mean, he's a nice dude, fun dude, clearly. <laughs> fun time to be around. A riot. But I saw people coming at him. He, so he's playing like in a real golf tournament. Like it's like the right. Texas State Open or PGA something. Deal, right? it's a, yeah, it's yeah. like. It's a legitimate tournament. I saw people being like, oh, he only shot 69 or 79. I think it was 70. It was 79. He was like, shot 79. He's in like second to last. It's like, dude, seven, do you know what I would do to shoot 79? Are you shitting me? <laughs> right. I, hey, and 
He shot I, 75 I how, in the second round too. 75. Yeah, I don't know how those courses, like how that tournament is, but they're typically not set up very easy. It's not set up for the old members out there. You know, it's, they're long and, and it's difficult, but no, nah, man, I thought whenever I heard that statement, I was like, wait, hang on a second. Who was that? That was Johnny Menzel. Are you kidding me? That's perfectly done. That's how you do it. It's like he was a first rounder. It's like he talked in front of cameras a lot. That, well, why didn't Ross Bjork? Well, why didn't he reach out to Johnny football and be like, Hey man, what should I say? Uh, future Don't be scared. director, John Manziel coming your way, Texas A&M. That'd be awesome. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? Uh, well, that's how you make a public statement. Here's how you don't make a public statement. Whenever you're making millions of dollars for a shoe deal, you do not say that the next, um, you know, the next line of your shoe deal is trash, which is what Kyrie Irving said about the new Kyrie eights. These shoes are trash. I just, I want to apologize to everyone. I don't have anything to do with the, uh, the design or the development. In my opinion, the Kyrie eights are trash. <laughs> how would you like that? If you're Nike and you pay him, I don't know how many millions and millions of dollars. Just, you don't have to say they're great. Just don't say anything. You don't have to tell everyone they're trash and not to buy them. <laughs> Kyrie Kyrie Irving had had an interesting week when you think about it, right? <laughs> he says his year. next <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. He said his next shoe is trash, which I'm like you said, I'm sure Nike is thrilled, thrilled. about his foundation built a solar water center in Pakistan. That is providing like a bunch, like a thousand villagers with clean water, which is pretty cool. And then, did you see the Kyrie Irving needs a better team around him things that Kevin Durant <laughs> ended up responding to? God, I love Kevin Durant on Twitter now. He's he is one of the best followers. That dude does not care. He is firing at you if you're coming at him. The best thing I saw on Kevin Durant was that video of the. Olympic team like shooting around before practice and he made like a corner three and I think it was Damian Lillard like came up and just grabbed his ball and started dribbling with it and he got all pissed off and then someone posted the video and then he commented on the video again it's pretty funny I love I mean I I love Kevin Durant now I just he's he's the perfect amount of petty I love it all <laughs> right are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area I just used the Ronaldo Cloud Group to sell my old house, and it was so easy and stress-free. Station Ronaldo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication, an honest relationship, and luxury service. And that's exactly what they gave me. You can reach them by emailing Stacia at Stacia at SageSir.com. That's S-T-A-C-I-A at S-A-G-E-S-I-R.com. Or you can contact them on Instagram at at sold by Stacia and at sold by Maddie underscore. You will not regret using them. Ted, for my winner of the week, thought about going with Patrick Mahomes. I cannot imagine how good you feel about yourself when one of your football cards sells for $4.3 million. 
$4.3 million, the most ever for a football card. Uh, no duh. I don't know anything about that card, but that's absurd. There's no way that I, that's absurd. So I, I read all about it because I was like, okay, I need to know more. It's like the card is a 2017 Panini something, something edition with the NFL logo from a game worn Jersey from Patrick Mahomes contained within the car. And I was just like, it's still not worth $4.3 million. <laughs> like, is it like, is it a one of a kind? There's it nothing is one there's- of one, which is to and card collecting has, I mean, it, you talk about a resurgence. It is booming right now. But still, I, there's no way, no chance. It's one of one, but they just created it. That's see like a, a Mickey Mantle rookie card or something like that. That's withstood the test of time. And someone has hung on to it for, you know, 70 years or whatever. That is impressive and more valuable in my opinion, not a card of a guy that you've got a, billion digital pictures of a billion videos of a billion cards of i don't know i think that well someone will end up making money on it i'm sure so maybe it is a good investment i also thought about going with quinn ewers Mm. he is the number one recruit in the 2022 class quarterback might be graduating early and going to ohio state in the fall due to the fact that he allegedly could make seven figures in NIL deals, including one with a kombucha. Is that how you say that? Kombucha, the tea, the fermented stuff? That? Kombucha. It's supposed to be good for like your gut health, I think. Kombucha. <laughs> it doesn't taste great. I've had it. It's like, okay, it's good for me, but yeah, no, uh, I'm good. Uh, wow. Okay. I, I guess a kombucha company said that they'll give him a bunch of money and equity in the company. And I, I guess you can't, you can't make money off the NIL stuff in high, for high school kids in, in Texas can't. And he's the quarterback at South Lake Carroll. They played in the state championship game last year. I believe he would be bailing on his boys. There's no doubt that would suck, but I'm bailing for a million dollars, Ted straight up. See ya. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, man. I, anyone that gives that amount of money to a high school kid before he's played a snap of college football is dumb. I'm sorry. Dumb. Now there's a chance that it works out. Does that make it any different? He's got a mullet. I know. Blonde. Yeah. Yeah. There's a chance that it works out and he's fantastic. There's a chance that he never plays a snap at Ohio State and transfers out. Uh, the only way to justify this is if the owner of this company is a massive Ohio State fan. That's it. And, There's no other way to justify that. And just so you know, he would reclassify. He'd be in in 2021. They have a five-star quarterback in the 2021 class. So it would it'd be uh, be interesting, but hey, awkward capitalism, baby. Let's go. But my winner, I the, can't take anything away from him. I mean, that's a that's awesome. Yeah, winner of the week, Simone Biles, Teddy. As the saying goes, all publicity is good publicity, and every 
anybody on the planet was talking about Simone Biles the last couple of days. And it is a, it is a polarizing topic, right? So you look at the opposite ends of the spectrum on one side of the spectrum, one end of the spectrum, you got people saying how much strength it took for her to withdraw and how she actually did what was best for the team and how this puts or shines a brighter light on mental health of athletes and how it, it emphasizes the importance of mental health for all people. While on the other end of the spectrum, you have people saying that she's a quitter and she made a selfish decision and she let her team and her country down. You've got people on both of those ends and then you got a whole bunch of people in between there. But the reason she's my winner of the week, everybody is talking about her. When everyone on the planet is talking about you, I am, I am thoroughly convinced it is good for you and for your earning potential moving forward. I, I, I think that is true. So she's already the best gymnast to ever walk the planet. Right. And this is, this is something, and this may be a really stupid statement. It just popped into my brain though, Ted, but I'm going to say it anyways. Would people be talking about her as much if she just wins all the gold medals as they're talking about her now? No. Right. Because everyone and expected it. It it was, and I was watching it live. I was up doing morning radio. I was watching it live, and it was getting reports. She was hurt. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a nightmare. Like, can you believe this? And then it started, okay, it's it's a mental thing. Like, And then it was, it was one of, it was one of the oddest things I've watched in sports. I was, it was stunning watching it unfold, watching it live on TV. I've been, I've been trying to come up with another sports comparison for it for days. And I don't know. It's like the greatest. She is the greatest in her sport ever. On the biggest stage in her sport and just. I mean, just said, Hey, I got it today. I mean that I, and I, I do want to make it clear gymnastics. If you are, if you aren't right, mentally, it can be a very, very dangerous sport, but you know, dealing with that stress is part of professional athletics. And especially that's what made it so weird. It's like she had, even though she had a lot of uncharacteristic mistakes in qualifying, she still finished first in the all around. <laughs> In qualifying, and she qualified for the finals in all four events. So that's what it was just, it was such a weird situation. And hey, once again, do what's best for you. I'm I'm over here. I'm the one that always says, Hey, you got to be more selfish. Be selfish. You got to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be able to help other people, right? That you got to take care of number one, Ted. But it was, I mean, I can't even think of another sports comparison. I, there's not one that we've ever witnessed. It was it's crazy. The, it was one of the craziest things I've ever watched. It's the starting pitcher walking off the mound in the World Series. It's it's the quarterback, you know, not this, coming out this for the is, second half. This is 
the best comparison I could come up with, because I was trying to think of something that, you know, kind of kind of is dangerous. And, you know, football is a dangerous game, right? So you, you can get hurt in gymnastics. You can get hurt in football. I was like, okay, best football player ever, Tom Brady, right? And you talk about the face of the sport. Simone Biles is the face of gymnastics, the face of this Olympic Games. So, like, you're talking about the pressure, someone that would feel a similar pressure with the attention that they get, right? So I, I thought it would be like if Brady played the AFC championship game, or I guess NFC championship game now for, for the Bucks, and he didn't play particularly well. He made some uncharacteristic mistakes, like threw a couple picks, but they still won, right? And they go to the Super Bowl, and he just comes out like, and he just won't throw the ball or like just holds on to it and is getting drilled in the pocket because he's holding on to it because he's like scared to throw it to the other team. I I don't know a comparison. Maybe that was really stupid, but that's like kind of the one that I was coming up with. It's just like it'd be Tom Brady in the Super Bowl pulling himself after the first couple drives and be like, yeah, guys, I ain't got it today. Uh, Would it be uh, like Sam Darnold saying I'm seeing ghosts and getting ridiculed for it for an entire season? He did get ridiculed for that. Bad. My only problem with the thing is, hey, if she doesn't have it and she's a detriment to the team to be out there, she's not feeling it, she's scared of getting hurt, I got no problem with that. I, I, I think that my problem is that it, no one can criticize it or else you're some evil person. Um, and it's just, it's also being built up like it's some incredibly brave thing. And I, I don't, I don't agree that it's an incredibly brave thing. I mean, she, like, brave is whenever you are feeling that anxiety. And trust me, even as a linebacker, Right. There's anxiety going into a football game. There's anxiety in how you perform. Are you going to get cut? Will you be released the next day? Are they bringing people in to replace you if you don't if you don't play well? I mean, that's what comes with with top level sports. I mean, I and I I, I got no problem. I've talked about it in the past. I got no problem talking about it. I completely understand that level of anxiety. Like I had to get on Zoloft. It was like I was. There were points in my career, especially in the NFL, when you walk into the building every day and you think you're going to get fired, it, it's a tough way to live life, man. And it, it, it gets to you eventually. Yeah. And like, so I understand. And I, I mean, Smo Wiles is so famous and so incredible at what she does. Like all those things is, I know it's not different, but like, I'm just trying to make the point that like high level athletes all feel that anxiety. And what made it so weird to me was like, she's won so many things and has so much respect in her sport. And even in qualifying, qualifies first, right? Like, I know she wasn't at her best, but like still was better than everyone else. And to go out there and do the vault. And then it was just, it was so weird. Yeah, And I, it was. I, I think it did. It, it took strength. To be like, you know what, guys, I'm bringing it down. But I, I think you should be able to talk about the entirety of the situation. 
and say that, you know what? She didn't have it. She didn't want to hurt herself. She didn't want to, you know, let her team down, put the sub in, right? You can say that you can compliment her in that, but you can also say, you know what? She's the best ever. She's the best in the world. And the Olympics is the pinnacle of her sport. That's where she's supposed to perform. And she didn't do that. Like, I think I, you can say both of those things, right? Yeah. I feel like if it would have been anyone else except for her, they would have been criticized for it. I just don't know why. And that's in any of the sports. If, if Kevin Durant walked out of the, an Olympic game in, in the, like the gold medal game or something, do you know what people would do to him? If he said that, he would be like destroyed. I just feel, I just don't know why it's, why it, it, I I don't know. It's just like, it it can't be questioned or criticized at all. I mean, I, there's no doubt she's the greatest gymnast ever. There's, there's no doubt. And I don't think you'll find anyone that will doubt that, but it was a weird moment. And I, was it better for the team? It possibly was, I, you know, and I've got no, I can't say whether it was or wasn't, but I think it's weird that it's being like made out to be like some incredible moment for her. I, I don't, it's just, it's, it's weird, man. I, I, it's, it's weird. No, and it's you're right. That, it, that's it, where society is now that that is something that's being applauded. I don't, it's, it's so individualist. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the, I just... the greatest moment in U.S. gymnastics history is when Carrie Strug walked out there and nailed that vault on a bad ankle. It's like the, it's the greatest moment for me that I remember. Right. And I'm, I mean, I can't say that they're they're necessarily connected, and it's the exact same. But to me, I, I don't know. I, for for Biles, it, it's it's everything, right? And. I mean, it's, it's the talent it's, you know, what she's done, but then you factor in, you know, she's talked about the stress she's talked about. And and then you have, you know, her being the sexual assault survivor and all these things like there, there's just a lot that goes into it. And I wonder if that's why people don't want to be too critical of it. I, I I don't know, but all, all I know is when I think about the Tokyo Olympics, that's probably going to be the number one thing I remember, man. Uh, to your point, as far as being a winner, I was <laughs> – now, I didn't watch it live. I watched the like the replay of Ooh, it The replay night. did not do it justice. They cut out a bunch of stuff. Like, they, they cut out all the awkward commentary and, like, all this stuff. Dude, it was bizarre. It was still pretty awkward last night. But it was so funny that they were talking about all of that and they went to commercial break, and one of the commercials is uh, Simone Biles coming to a town near you with her like group of gym gymnasts, and they're going to be performing and come meet them. It's called like the gold medal, some type of deal. So I was like thinking, like, hey, <laughs> you know, she's right. she's still going to capitalize like crazy. Like, how much would she make off of a like, or how many? retweets or views would just like any type of tweet from her or social media post be and i'm sure she's doing it but it's got it's got to be the number one trending thing on twitter for days now 
Yeah. We support you, Simone Biles. Still the best ever. It was weird, though. I mean, it was weird. You, that's, it's, it just was. Okay, my loser. Wow, I really did not expect us to go that long on this. This could be a long <laughs> podcast, bro. Yeah. My loser of the week, David Shaw, head football coach at Stanford. So a Pac-12 media day. He called out Nick Saban, which, bold, but he called out Nick Saban about the Bryce Young stuff where, you know, he said that Bryce Young's approaching seven figures in NIL deals. And Shaw said that he didn't think that was true market value. He said that he thought Saban did it as a recruiting tactic. Uh, Yeah, no shit, David. Of course it was a recruiting tactic. I mean, we all know that. But And, and last time I checked, true market value is what someone will pay you. That's how this country works. That's that's true market value. If they're willing to pay him it, we that's just how talked it works. About Quinn Ewers not even on campus yet, right? So, I, I, David Shaw, I, I don't think he came off looking good here, and he really, in my mind, he missed a golden opportunity to send his own message to recruits, and they need more talent there at Stanford. I know it's hard to get in. I get it. It. It's a great school, but you you have to you have to adjust to the new normal, right? And and you have to eliminate that old mindset. He had he he is the head coach at Stanford that has some of the most powerful alumni on the planet. And he had a chance to say, Yeah, you know what Nick said about Bryce, that's great, but you know, here at Stanford, uh, we have great alumni and great businesses that we partner with that, you know, they they want to they want to help our athletes reach their full NIL potential. And you know, maybe you want to figure out how you like when someone googles you, you th- there's like some good results that show up, you know. Well, you know, Stanford grad Sergey Brand, oh, he invented Google. Maybe he could help with that or maybe you're curious about how to monetize your instagram well maybe stanford grad kevin sistrom who co-founded instagram he may know a thing or two about how you can take full advantage of your opportunities on the platform or you know that maybe maybe you want to get connected with businesses maybe that's your thing right maybe you can get some nil deals through linkedin Oh, yeah, that's right. Stanford grad Reed Hoffman. He, he can probably help with that since he co-founded LinkedIn. He missed a perfect opportunity to flex and a perfect opportunity to say, hey, Stanford, that's a good place. If you're thinking about NIL, this is, a, this is the place for you. I know we're in the Pac-12. I know school's hard here. But if NIL is your thing, we got some pretty famous alumni that can help you. I he came. It looked like he was whining about it when really he should be embracing it, man. You got all those powerful people, and I know that David Shaw may not have them all on speed dial, man. But come on, Shaw, he's a smart dude. Use your head, embrace it. Sounds it. to me like you're smarter than he is. I the the pitch would have been. Alabama 
is clearly engaging in market manipulation here. And what we're going to do to combat that is engage in algorithm manipulation. <laughs> because whenever you sign at Stanford, our, our guys at Instagram or at Google, they're going to elevate the hell out of your page or your timeline. What You are going to constantly be trending because they're going to put you at the front of the pile nonstop. Maybe Stanford needs to hire me as their recruiting coordinator. I know you nailed it. That's right. I mean, that's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> when I went on my visit there, they were dedicating dedicating a building to the guys that invented Google, and I was like, you know what? That's pretty cool. I, you know what's funny? They shouldn't even do anything. They should just have uh, like all of the social media connections just totally kill every like hide everyone's tweets to where they're not seeing anything they're not making on people's timelines just totally manipulate the crap out of it dude they've got the people that invented google they can literally erase anyone they want from the earth basically i (laughs) I mean i don't know it just it was confusing to me embrace it shaw NIL is here. Embrace it. All right. On that note, episode 133. That was a long one. Sorry, but hey, solid. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Monday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on Sirius XM Big 12 Radio Channel 375. Hope you all have a great weekend. Until next time, we appreciate y'all for listening. And do what you always do. Take care of each other. Just one.